So in today's episode, I'm going to talk about the framework mindset and how it was inspired by my stay in the hospital. All right, so I have a confession to make. I can't stand following the herd because if I do, then the best that I can be is average. And I have zero interest in average. I want remarkable. And the only way to do that is to think different. So I'm studying game changers, trailblazers, rule breakers, awesome makers, and those crazy ones who are looking to change the world and sharing what I've learned so you can make remarkable happen in your life. My name is Dean Dwyer, and this is The Mindset Show. Hey, how are you doing? Welcome to another episode of The Mindset Show. I got to tell you, I'm a little uh, I'm a little exhausted simply because I recorded an episode uh, about a half hour long and uh, I went and somehow hit a button and deleted the whole thing. So I now need to do it again. So uh decided to uh, I, I sort of did a little uh, a few other things to kind of replenish my energies. I'm back, baby. I'm back. So listen, um uh, before I jump into the episode, I did want to say the following. The show is now officially on iTunes. Um, I mentioned last week that uh, the show was was going to be coming on iTunes soon. I didn't realize that I didn't submit it properly. So it took me a couple of days before I realized that essentially there's two steps to the process. I only did one. I missed the second one, which is the submit button. So I validated the podcast. I didn't submit it. So anyhow, I submitted it. Uh, it took four days for iTunes to approve, but it has been approved today. So the good news is you can now subscribe, uh, which just makes life a lot easier for you because you can listen to these shows offline when you're walking, working out, traveling, whatever it is you're doing. Um, and uh, yeah, no, that's it. There is no end. I don't know why I said end. There's no end. It's just that. Um, oh, I know what the end was. You can, and, and if you're interested, um, you can be one of the first to leave a review for the show. Uh, but if you stick around to the end, my outro, I have an offer for you about reviews, which, uh, uh I think would be kind of fun. I think you might, you might enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy it. So, uh, doesn't matter if you don't enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy it. Okay. Enough, enough of that babbling stuff. I was going to say Brooke, but that's something completely different. Um, so today's episode is actually something called the framework mindset. And so what I want to do is I want to start off and I'm going to tell you a story. And then, uh, and then I'm going to pull some lessons out of the story. And then of course, uh, I can't really do the show unless I tie this all back to what it means for you and some possible applications in your life. So let me start with the story. So I, um, for those of you who've been following along, um, I am currently staying in Sudbury with my mother and my father uh, for probably what will amount to five to six months. I am just about at the end of my second month. Things have been going great. My dad has not wanted to throttle me yet. I'm staying at my dad's place. Uh, so that's always a good sign. Um, and uh, one of the reasons I came back was that, uh, I just wanted to spend quality time with my mother and my father. Um, it also was coincidental because my mother was actually going in for knee replacement surgery. So uh, this is kind of a family thing. 
Um, her mother had bad knees. Her brother has had both his knees replaced. And so she's had a bad knee now for quite a while. And she really didn't want to do surgery, but it was just getting to the point where, you know, it was impacting the quality of her life. And she had to really, she could, she could hardly walk long distances. And so anyway, it just came to the point where she needed to have it. She had it a few days ago. Um, and so it's great that I'm here because I, you know, I can help her now with the recovery and everything else. But I wanted to share a story about what happened at the hospital the day of her surgery. So I picked my mom up at 7.15. By the way, I realize I say mom as opposed to mom. Um, anyway, that's just what I say. So I picked my mom up at 7.15 in the morning. Um, she had an appointment. She had to be, her surgery was at 10 a.m. in the morning. She needed to be there by eight. So we got there about quarter to eight. And then there was a couple of different steps that she had to go through before they ultimately took her away to prep her for surgery. So I could be with her for the first two steps. And the first step was, uh, the intake form. And then she, she, she changed into her gown. Um, and so we had to wait in one waiting room for a while. And then we were taken to another room where they hooked her up to this gizmo that looked uh, like a vacuum cleaner hose, but it just blew hot air in to kind of, just to kind of get her all nice and crispy for the, not crispy, <laughs> that's not the right word, uh, just to keep her warm, to keep her warm for the surgery. So, uh, so we sat in that room for a while and then that, that probably took us to about 9.15 and then she went to the next room where they were prepping her for surgery. So I couldn't be with her for that. So that was 9.15. I did not see my mother again until 3.30. So that was six hours and 15 minutes later. Now, in the olden days, say a few years back, um, that would have been six hours of anxiety and stress because I would have had no idea what was going on in that whole process. Um, I knew that, by the way, the, the technology and the, the surgery procedures that they have now come up with is unbelievable. It's, it's about an hour, if there's no complications, it takes about an hour and 15 minutes to give somebody a brand spanking new new knee. An hour and 15 minutes. That's insane. <clears throat> okay. I went way beyond my acceptable octaves and uh, I <laughs> couldn't talk. Um, anyway, it, that's crazy. That is just crazy to me how efficient that this now is. Like they're just pumping people through left and right. New knees, new hips, new shoulders. Come on in. We'll have you out in about an hour. So, um, so I knew that the, I knew that again with no complications about an hour and a half. Now, again, if in the past you have no idea, like over six hours, you'd be like, well, I know the surgery is only an hour and a half. They'd be in, in, in the recovery room for a couple of hours. Like what's happening? So it would have been a really stressful, anxious time for me. It was none of that. It was, um, it was actually an amazing experience. And so what they did at the hospital, and this is brilliant. So what they did, so so once we got in and we got all settled, uh, the nurse uh, filled out a form for me. So my mother was given a code. And for those of you playing along at home, C5RN5 uh, was her code. I know it's very, very touching, very poetic. Uh, but that was her code. And uh, so what they did is they had a board. And this board is kind of like, actually not even kind of like, it's almost exactly like the kind of board that you would see when you go to the airport and you have a flight. So when you go to the airport, once you check in, you go to the board and you look for your flight number and your airline, 
and then you see whether or not the plane is on time or not. And so, and when you think about that, or if you've ever thought about that, that's actually brilliant that that's in place because if that wasn't in place, then everybody that comes to the airport is already anxious. Like, is my plane here? Is it on time? Is it going to be delayed? And when you have those kinds of questions, then you are badgering the staff with those questions, which means they're, I mean, they're extremely stressed because they're just getting pounded with questions all the time. That simple solution of putting the board up creates, uh, it's an incredible solution that really puts a lot of, it essentially eliminates about 95% of the problems that you're going to have with people who might be concerned about the status of their flight because it's all answered there. So then you're only dealing with sort of the outlier cases, the extreme cases or whatever it happens to be. So they essentially copied the same process with the surgery. So what they did is they figured out, they, they identified that essentially there are five steps to the process. And the first, uh, the first step is when the surgery starts. The next step is when it ends. The third step, I believe, I'm a little foggy on the third step. I think the third step was that once the surgery ends, the fourth step is the patient's in the recovery room. So I think the third step is that they, they have to wait until space is available in the recovery room. So there's sort of this transition area. So they're in there. Then they go into the recovery room and then they go into their room that they're going to be in for the next couple of days. And so this was amazing. So I, so they had this big board in this waiting room and you sit there and you find the code and you, and you see where they are on the process, you know, for the sur- surgical process. So I had zero anxiety, zero stress about this whole thing. And I didn't even stay in the waiting room. I just, I was trying to find a place in the hospital to work, which uh, hospitals are not really a great place to do any kind of work. Pretty busy. Um, yeah, it's pretty busy. You can't really, you know, you can't really hunker down anywhere and get anything done. Uh, they did have internet everywhere. So I will give them that, that that was great. I actually was online, but I didn't really get much work done. But uh, so I, what I would do is every half hour or so, I would go in and I would check the board and I'd see, okay, my mom's in surgery. Okay, now she's out of surgery. She's into transition. And then she's, you know, and now she's in recovery. And I knew that recovery would take, they said somewhere around two hours. I think my mother ended up being in there for about two and a half. And then the fifth step, when they are placed in their room, their name comes off the board completely. So there was a little bit of a wrinkle with that for a split second. Um, and I, I went to see the nurse right away because what happened was my mother's code was still on there. Oh, beside the code, it also had the surgeon. So I knew who her surgeon was. And so, you know, again, for like five hours, I, I see her code, her surgeon, and what stage of the process that they're at. Um, and then suddenly, so I was sort of waiting for my mom's name to be taken off the board because she had been in recovery for about two and a half hours. And then suddenly her code is up with another surgeon. And for a split second, I'm like, hmm, does that mean that there was a problem? And now she's, she's back in the operating room. So anyway, I went to talk to the, to one of the nurses at the nurse's station and said, Hey, it's kind of, uh, this is kind of a weird question, but my mother's code is still on the board, but it's now got, um, another surgeon beside it. And she didn't, she's like, well, that, that, that's not possible. I'm like, it's possible, lady. It's possible. Um, and sure enough, it was possible. And what they had done is simply assigned that code to another patient who was having surgery later that day. So it ended up that, you know, my mother was already, uh, in her room. So I got, I, you know, I got up to see her, uh, you know, six and a half hours later. Um, so, you know, and I was thinking about this afterwards and I'm like, 
this is amazing. And it got me thinking about a mindset that I came up with probably two or three years ago. Now, it doesn't have a sexy name. And by the way, anytime I do a show, I'm going to come up with the best name that I can come up with for a mindset. If you have a better name, please let me know. And I'll change it. Like I'm always looking for sexy, sexy names that have a story behind them that apply to the concept I'm talking about. So this one's called the framework mindset. On a sexiness scale of one to 10, I'd say it's about a two. Not very sexy, but it, it gets the point across for me, which the way I think about it is I want to, th- I'm always looking to think in terms of frameworks because frameworks, um, are magical in what they what they can do for people. And so again, and so this whole thing happened in the hospital. I started thinking about it. I was like, there is brilliance to this. And so what I'd like to do is just pull out some of the lessons um, that I got from this that you may not have gotten from this story. Because you're listening to the story and you're like, yeah, okay, well, whatever. Thanks for that story, Dean. Um, but there are some really fascinating things that I, I think come from this story. And the first thing, as I said, it, it got me thinking again about the fact that essentially what they've done is they, they created a framework. They sat down and identified the five steps to the process and then came up with a way to make, and here's, here's the, here's the takeaway here. They made the invisible visible. And this is the, the brilliance of, of what they did and, and of the story. They made the invisible visible. And I'll tell you why that's an amazing thing, because what you can see sets you free. Now, that has many meanings, but I'm going to say this again. What you can see sets you free. So if you go back and you think about this, so essentially what they did is they essentially eliminated all my anxiety by creating this solution where I could see where my mother was in the process of her surgery. Like that is brilliant. And because I had no anxiety, the staff did not have any anxiety because I had no questions until the very end. Um, and, and again, for again, 99% of people, there's going to be no questions at all. If it's going to go exactly as it's supposed to go, name disappears off the board. And then they just go and find out what room that their, their, uh, friend, spouse, family members in and, uh, and, and they're off to the races, you know? So, um, so, so the, the first part of this is th- this idea that what you can see sets you free by, by taking this invisible process that nobody could see and making it visual by putting it on the board. They completely change the game. The airport does it as well. Like they're at that. And that's just one example of how to make the invisible visible. Think of it also as the intangible tangible. If you can take ideas that people can't see, like, like for example, love, right? Love is an intangible idea. You can't touch it. You can't, you can't grab it. It's a hard concept to explain to people. Well, there's a guy by the name of Gary Chapman. He wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. He was a marriage counselor, and over the years, he recognized a pattern that essentially there were five different languages of love that people spoke. And so he identified, he took this invisible concept and he made it visible, tangible by, by 
by turning it into a language. And if you could identify what language you were and you could figure out what language your spouse was or your partner was, then you could begin to talk in their language. They could talk in your language and that would be the secret to love that lasts. That was the tagline of his book. It was brilliant. That's a framework. You take the invisible and you make it visible. What you can see sets you free. So that's the first thing that, that was the first thing that I, I, that one of the, the first takeaways that I took from that, that I'd like you to take from that too. And I want you to remember that what you can see sets you free. And if you are working with clients, if you have a business of your own, um, what they can see sets them free. So if you can start thinking about whatever it is that you're creating, are there invisible parts to your business that, um, you could make visible. That would just be a game changer for people. So that was the first point. The second thing that I wanted, um, that you may not have got from the story was that like, I was, when I was thinking about all this, I was like, I, I think what we might miss in this story is you got to go all the way back to the beginning of the story or before that story even originates and realize that the people at the hospital, there was clearly a tremendous amount of pain around this situation. And it had been going on for years. And finally, somebody realized, like, listen, like this is extremely painful on both sides of the equation. It's extremely painful for the people who are waiting for loved ones to find out what's going on and extremely painful for us because it keeps us from being able to do our job, the jobs that we're supposed to be doing, because all we're doing is fielding and answering questions and, and dealing with stressful and anxious people. And that, that is not a great environment to run a business, you know, when everybody who is in the building is stressed out. And so there obviously was this massive pain point for them where they sat down. Now, I'm not saying that you're, they're using the language that I use, but they clearly recognize that that the whole, what was going on here was invisible. And if they could make that visible, that would eliminate a large percentage of the problems that they had to deal with. Um, and I'm going to come back to that point in a second, because that is going to be important for you when you start thinking about how you can apply that idea in your life. And then the third thing that I wanted to share was the vehicle that they used to, to make the invisible visible. And so they simply identified steps. They sat down and analyzed their process and realized, well, okay, there's essentially five steps to surgery. And so they figured out what the steps were and they shared them. They shared them in a way that everyone could see them, everyone, you know, and it would, it would alleviate this problem that they have. So that's one way that you can actually go about creating a framework is identify steps that have never been identified before. Now, um, a, a very quick example of somebody who has done this, um, you're probably not familiar with this guy. His name is Clay Hebert. Well, last name is spelled H-E-B-E-R-T. Clay has created this presentation called The Perfect Introduction because he recognized, well, and it was actually, I'm going to talk about this story in another podcast because I love this story, and I'm hoping that I can actually um, get Clay to talk about this as well. But uh, he, he, he was at a conference and somebody asked him what he did. And he said he rambled on for about five minutes. He said it was awful. Like he just was all over the place and basically told the guy's whole life story. And all the guys said, what do you do? And, um, 
and and he he walked out afterwards and thought about this and thought, how do I make sure that this never happens again? And so he created a framework on how to create the perfect introduction. And if you do it right, it can be as few as six words. I'm not going to say any more than that if you want to search for it. But he created a framework. He he made something that we've never – no one's ever – taught us before. We, no one has ever taught us how to introduce ourselves to people. So we just ramble on and stumble along and say all kinds of goofy things that either, um, you know, and if we do it wrong, for example, we end conversations, especially if you, you know, you're in business and, and in sales, the, you know, a bad introduction, it ends a conversation. A great introduction should spark curiosity and promote conversation. So anyway, he, he created this framework. Um, and has been teaching it now for the past couple of years. Um, people bring him into conferences now to talk. Companies hire him um, all over something that most of us never even realized would have recognized. It had no framework. Nobody had ever developed a framework on how to effectively and confidently introduce yourself. So that's one way. Um, another way is with something as simple as a checklist. Um, airlines use this, not airlines, the F- the FC, the FAA, the FFA, I don't know, whoever the flight association is, the FAA, maybe. Somebody, Mike Swanigan, Captain Mike Swanigan, you'll hear this. Tell me what it is. Uh, anyhow, they, they make checklists all the time. If you saw the movie, I was going to say Scully, but it's not, oh, it is Scully. Or is it Sully? Sully. Um, anyway, the, the movie with Tom Hanks about the, uh, the plane that went down on the Hudson. Um, the moment that they had a problem, the co-pilot pulls out book that's got a gazillion checklists in there and he finds the checklist that deals with whatever the problem was that they had. They have checklists for everything, but they make the invisible visible. What you can see sets you free. When you don't have anything, when you have no visuals of anything, then you're just guessing and you're running through these random things. This allows people to methodically go through and, and, and look to see how they can solve a particular problem. So a checklist is something that you could use. Um, or, or another way that people create frameworks, uh, are with visual models, right? So that you can, uh, you think of something like the food pyramid. Uh, I don't agree with the food pyramid. I don't, I don't think it's right, but, um, it's a model and, and it, 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 it graphically illustrates how everything is supposed to work. Uh, Maslow's, uh, is it Maslow or Maslow? Or no, maybe I'm thinking of Pavlov. <laughs> Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, is also, again, it's a visual representation of a framework that helps us understand, um, the importance of our different needs in ascending order, uh, or descending order, depending on which, which part of the pyramid you're looking at. Um, so those are three ways that, that people can create frameworks. So that's the end of my story and, and the end of the, of some of these points that I wanted to bring to your attention. Uh, but I need to, I need to turn this back now in terms of how you can apply this in your life. And before I do that, um, and every podcast, I need to remember to say this, but there's a phrase that I've created or a term that I've created called multidimensional intelligence. And, um, this, this is something that I, this is based on, on something I learned in my teaching background. But here's, here's the thing. As humans, we are hardwired to use ideas only within the context that they're taught, right? So a lot of times, like, for example, if I said to you, Hey, I'm going to interview a choreographer, 
you'd be like, yeah, I'm not going to listen to that interview because I'm not a choreographer, Dean. It's like, no, you're missing the point. They have principles about creativity and performance and that you can steal and you can use in your own life. But we're not taught to think that way. And so we dis- when we hear an idea, we only think that it can be used within the context that it was taught. And so what I want to remind you is I'm talking about a principle. What can be seen, what you can see sets you free is a principle. Um, I'm talking about it in the context of a hospital. It can be applied anywhere in your life. It could be, can be applied in a relationship. It can be applied. I keep wanting to say reapplied. It can be applied in a business. Uh, it can be applied raising children. It can be applied anywhere. So don't limit your, creativity and your imagination with regards to this principle. Uh, so that said, uh, there were three things that I, that I wanted to sort of, uh, uh, to put back on you and, and, or, or to have you think about. And the first thing is this, um, because I think the question is, when do I know that a framework is needed? Well, if going back to this, I think the second point I talked about in the story above, uh, frameworks are required in areas where there is extreme and persistent pain. So if you think about your own life or your business, whatever you want to think about, uh, what's an area that has been a pain point for an extended period of time? In almost all cases, it's because uh, everything that's happening right now is invisible, that you have not yet recognized that there is something going on that hasn't been identified and you need to identify it, whether it's, it, 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 it turns out to be a checklist. Maybe it's a productivity issue. So there's a checklist of steps that need to be identified that you can continually pull out and check off to make sure certain things are done a certain way or whatever it happens to be. Uh, that, for example, it could be like, say you're hiring an assistant. Right. And you're telling them things to do and they're very inconsistent with what they're creating. Maybe that's because you haven't created a clear checklist for them of the things that they need to make sure that they've done before they submit something. That, for example, would be one example. But frameworks are required in areas where there is extreme and persistent pain. So that's the first thing that I want you to think about. Um, the second thing is I can't read my own writing. I actually, I actually created a little framework for myself. Oh, um, um, there are possibilities to use frameworks in creative processes. So as, as an example, screenwriters, right? There is a framework for screenwriting that every screenwriter follows, right? So, so there are ways that you could create frameworks, um, for creative things that either you're doing or maybe you're creating something for somebody else. Again, maybe you've noticed extreme pain, not only in your life in a particular area, but other people are also experiencing this as well. Uh, I'll go back to the clay example, right? He recognized that not only was he struggling with, with, uh, uh, introducing himself, but other people also struggle with that. It's an extreme, pain point for people. And so he created a framework for them. So be on the lookout for areas of your life, all areas of your life where there's extreme pain points um, that other people may also be experiencing where a framework would really help alleviate that. And then the third possible um, application for this is just, and I, I it, it sort of just, I, I was sort of thinking out loud or brainstorming on this, but like things, for example, like meal planning, 
right? Like we, you know, one of the reasons that, that people struggle with their weight and, and, and all the issues that come with that is that there's no structure when it comes to, uh, eating. The people just eat when they're hungry. But when you look at the people who've created the most successful bodies, um, they have a deliberate, there's, there's a framework to how they eat. They don't just eat whenever they want. They've got a certain number of meals they eat. Um, there are certain times. There's a, um, uh, the meal takes a certain, you know, there's a certain framework to the types of foods that they eat and those sorts of things. Um, so, so that's, that's just one example. Uh, another one would be, I have a friend of mine who, uh, they do family meetings every Sunday and that meeting has a structure to it and a, and a framework. So, so everyone, parents and kids have an opportunity to bring up anything that's bothering them, whether it's something general or it's something that another family member is doing. Um, and, and there are rules to, to how that all works. There's, uh, each person has, they get a talking stick and when they have the stick, they have the floor and they get to speak uninterrupted. And so there were all kinds of ways that you could apply this framework mindset. And, um, I'll leave you, I'm going to leave you uh, sort of one final story that uh, might help get the creative juices going. So this was actually a story that I learned while I was teaching. Probably the second most influential thing that I learned as a teacher. So I went to a conference. So no, it wasn't a conference. A guy came to our school. Uh, he was from, it was a principal from Massachusetts. He taught at a school where all the kids had learning disabilities and he described one particular learning disability, which blew my mind. So the learning disability is that there are some people in the world that cannot form pictures in their head of whatever it is you're talking about. So if I was to describe to you right now where I was at, I'd say, well, I'm at my mother's apartment in her living room. I'm sitting on a blue couch that uh, uh, one end is uh, is pulls out as a recliner, so my feet are up, it's a coffee table. There are some people who can hear the words, but they cannot get a picture in their head of what I'm talking about. And I know that that was mind-blowing to me too. I was like, what? There are actually people out there that that... You know, that, that, I, I, I had a hard time wrapping my head around it, but I, I believed him. Like he had kids in his school that were like that. And he shared the story of one particular kid and what these parents did when they recognized that their son had this disability. So the, the kid would be asked to go up and clean his room. He would go up, you know, he'd be up there for an hour and, and he come, and they say, don't come back down till it's clean. He'd come back down and, um, They'd go up and, and the room was a disaster. They're like, what are you, you, what's happening here? Like this, you didn't do anything. And the kid's all disappointed because the kid thinks that the room is clean. Um, and what, again, what they ultimately recognized was that he did not have the, he didn't know what a, he didn't have a picture in his head of what a clean room looked like. So they did something brilliant. So they went up with him. They cleaned his room together. So they got the room exactly the way the room needed to look. Then the parents, got a Polaroid camera and they took pictures so that the pictures represented every area of the room. And then they posted those pictures up on a bulletin board. Now, the next time the kid had to clean the room, they went up with him and they said, okay, so let's look at this picture. And that's this part of the room. You need to make this part of the room look just like the picture. So they worked with them, made sure that that part of the room looked like the picture. Then they went to the next picture and they did the same thing and they did the same thing. And then the next time the kid went up, he could now do it on his own. 
for the most part. Um, so he would, you know, he would look at the picture and then he would make that part of the room look like the picture. And it was just the most amazing thing. And what they created was a framework. And in this case, their framework was a series of pictures of what a clean room looked like so that this child could have success. What you can see sets you free, whether it's for you personally, it's for somebody or it's for somebody else. But if they can see it, it sets them free. So listen, that is it for today's episode. Um, again, it's, it's called the framework mindset. This is a foundational mindset for me. I've got a whole bunch of stories that I will come back in future episodes to share because this is, uh, something that I believe is a foundation for everybody. We should always be thinking about creating frameworks in all aspects of our lives because it will make your life exponentially more abundant. Um, you know, more, more, you're going to get more of all the good stuff in life when you create frameworks that allow you to excel. Um, so it's the framework mindset. What you can see will set you free. So that is it for today's episode. But before you go, let me leave you with two things. First, what's the one big thing you took from this show? It could be something I said, but it could also be something completely unrelated that bubbled to the surface while listening. Don't ignore your thoughts. If they clawed their way to the surface of your gray matter, then it means they're important. Acknowledge them, honor them, and act on them if possible. Second, would you consider leaving a review? If so, here's my offer. Copy your iTunes review and send it to me via email with the subject line, my iTunes review. And in return, I'm going to send you a thank you audio, which will include me reading your review out loud with my authentic real-time response of how your words have impacted me. I don't know about you, but I think that's going to be awesome. Anyhow. That's it, my friend. I have to bounce. (laughs) Listen to me trying to be one of the cool kids. Have a great rest of today. And remember, you're just one mindset away from a bigger, more awesome future. I'm Dean Dwyer, and you were listening to The Mindset Show.